Hello, everyone. Thank you for tuning in. Thanks for joining us for another episode here at the Amazing Podcast, where we talk to industry leaders, influencers, and innovators from the cloud native and Kubernetes space. And uh, we talk to everyone from the large enterprises to uh, startups, and even sometimes open source project uh, leaders. So bring you a variety of uh, discussion. And uh, if you like what you hear here, uh, I want to encourage you to go over to amazic.com, A-M-A-Z-I-C.com. Uh, there we have a bunch of stuff happening. Uh, there's event coverage, articles, a lot more interviews like this. So uh, definitely go there uh, for all of your tech news uh, to find out what's happening. I'm Twain Taylor, editor at Amazic. And I have with me today, Kit Dergalev, who is the senior product manager at Octopus Deploy. So Octopus Deploy is, uh, as you'll hear more about, uh, they're into the space of deployment automation. So uh, pretty much the end of the pipeline is where uh, their focus area is. And uh, we're going to be hearing, hearing from them about just uh, a lot about, you know, um, deployments and uh, how to do it right, how to do it better, how to automate it, and Octopus's approach uh, to deployments. That's what we're going to be talking about today. Uh, so with that introduction, uh, Kit, it's great to have you with us. How are you doing today? Oh, hi. Thanks for having me. I'm doing great. Excited oh, great. the conversation. Yeah, awesome. Uh, quite excited to talk to you as well. Uh, Kid, I was wondering if you could get us started with telling us a bit about yourself and uh, your journey leading up to Octopus. Yeah, so in a nutshell, I started engineer as an engineer many years ago and then moved into project management and just discovered that I definitely like more this area of, you know, business planning, understanding the actual need and uh, doing something, working with a lot of other people. And then I moved through this role and sales and uh, professional services and ended up in the product management eventually, just leading a small niche internal startup. And it was like about seven-ish years ago. And since then, I just moved through a few companies. And uh, it was also and always about product management in one or another way. And now I'm an octopus. I'm just quite excited because I lead uh, an amazing team and we work with this like modern deployments, the cutting edge of deployments. And it's it's, it's really great. Uh, yeah. You also get to live in a great place uh, based out of New Zealand, if I'm right. Yeah, it's a beautiful place. It's Auckland, ocean around, mountains, wow. everything. So it's, yeah. Yeah, one of the most beautiful places. Um, so, uh, Kit, I want to get us started by uh, talking about uh, uh, two things that are quirky about the DevOps space. And the first one is uh, this, that, uh, you know, the DevOps itself, you know, it's a combination of these two terms, dev and ops, developers and ops folk. And uh, about a, a little more than a decade ago, you know, DevOps, uh, when it was just uh, starting to become popular, all of the talk was about breaking silos between developers and operations folk. And how do you get them to work together and collaborate and function as one team so that uh, the, uh, you know, uh, and that, that's pretty much how people thought of dev DevOps. But then fast forward to today, uh, now we're seeing a trend of platform engineering, which is kind of like, uh, sometimes pitched as a modern version of DevOps. And uh, platform engineering is saying, let's separate the, DevOps, the, the developers from the operations folk uh, who are now called as the platform engineering team and let the developers build the apps uh, right, uh, right out of the code, but let uh, the platform team figure out how to automate cloud resources and all of that. So it seems like we are taking one step forward and two steps back sometimes. You know, we keep going back and forth. And you, uh, you know, uh, I'd like to just get your thoughts on this. What do you think of this? 
And uh, yeah, just how do you see, why do you see this happening? Well, I don't think it's actually going backwards. Okay. I would say it was always like that to extend. So if you think mm -hmm. about this, um, the concept of you build it, you own it, still makes a lot of sense. And I see the most successful companies follow this and the more they follow, the faster the delivery pace is and the more they gain from this idea. The other question is how broad this owning is, right? When we talk about you own part. And uh, I don't think we ever imagined this being you own infrastructure, you own bare metal, you own network stack, stack you own every bits and pieces you're responsible for updating an operating system, right? It was never the case. So when we think about DevOps, in many cases, we think about cloud. And uh, if I use cloud and I use something like AWS Lambdas, for example, I'm not actually owning the platform, right? I use the API or the portal provided by the cloud company, and then I just build a pawn, right? And yes, I maintain my app, but again, I do that through some configuration method and interface provided to me, right? Now we have Kubernetes, and uh, Kubernetes is extremely powerful, but extremely complex, right? So we can think about this as yet another addition, another big, massive platform, which you should manage, and you should know uh, how to optimize it efficiently, how to spend less money, how to ensure it's working, uh, it can scale, you know, it, it's secure, etc. And here we see that we need experts. That's why a lot of companies, companies who move towards Kubernetes, they have this platform team, they call it, they call it, I don't know, um, they could call it ops team even, but still it's people who build this environment, enabling software team to build and run software. So yes, they obfuscate Kubernetes complexity or some other complexity from software teams, Yes, they provide them some simple way, maybe through Git, maybe through some simple UI to manage that. But they don't say, you know what, you just merge your PR and we will do deployment for you and we will do the test, we do promotions. No, software teams still do that. They just don't have to write a massive YAML manifest themselves, right? They maybe use some template, they maybe use some automated pipeline. So I think it's still there, it's just, it's just we see it a little bit deeper, you know, something which before was completely hidden, now it revealed and now it's managed by platform teams. Mm -hmm. All right, you know, uh, that's a great response. And I think it's it's quite a positive way of looking at things as well, that, uh, you know, uh, we're always finding better ways to do things. And I guess that's questioning how we used to do things. So, you know, it's a good thing. And, uh, you know, I want to also ask you about uh, this other quirk that I noticed, which is, uh, you know, uh, when it comes to startups or vendors in the in the cloud space, there's always this balance between, you know, how much should we focus on just what we're good at and what we specialize in versus how much should we expand to meet more broader needs? Uh, so, you know, for example, if it's, uh, you know, talking about CI tools, continuous integration tools like, Jenkins, GitLab, and the others, uh, you know, they often these days pitch themselves as CI, CD tools or complete end-to-end -end automation tools. And, uh, you know, so so they started out as CI, but now they, they seem to be going, shifting right to cover more of the pipeline. Uh, yet in this time as well, while that's happening, there's also other, uh, you know, other solutions like uh, GitOps and Flux and Argo uh, that also focusing exclusively on uh, deployment automation. So clearly there is, uh, you know, there are different approaches that these different startups and vendors are taking. Uh, but my question is, you know, um, when it comes to CI/CD, uh, how does someone look at uh, CI/CD? How does someone look at the pipeline? How do they choose when there's these different options available? And some of them really overlap. Good question. So <clears throat> I will start with something which 
from my experience, people probably should not do, but they still do quite often. Mm-hmm. And this is not looking into the future because what's happening quite a lot of times is you have a software team and they build some new service. Maybe you had a big monolith app and now you're starting this SaaS or microservice transition and you have always, you always have a couple of teams who are like, you know, evangelists in this space and uh, they start with building something which works for them right now, right here. And they will usually choose something which is working right now and they have experience with and there is nothing wrong with that um but next thing you as a company should consider where i want to be in uh, a year or three years what my org structure will i have mostly independent autonomous teams maybe i will build autonomous products which is fine if i'm a big company i'm building products maybe mostly internal for internal use right i have product for my workhouse and product for my accountants. And in this case, it maybe doesn't really matter uh, how centralized it is, right? But what if I'm building something big for external customers and it's SaaS service and all the services or the micro services are running on the same platform and they all have internal dependencies? Who will control all that? How will I manage privileges? Uh, how important it is for me to control promote control the promotion from environment to environment and what i'm going to use am i using just this cloud provider or will i have hybrid cloud will i use this container platform or kubernetes or vms or both or all of them or where do i run my database and then as soon as you think about what challenges you have in the future or as you mentioned before will i have a dedicated um, platform engineering team uh, should this, would I expect these people to establish some standards in my company, build some templates, again, obfuscate complexity of all these platforms from software teams. And then you start looking at if all these questions, if, if you answered yes, you will actually end up with quite a few powerful enterprise CD platforms. If some of this no, and maybe use just Kubernetes, well, you might think, okay, maybe these GitOps tools are actually a good choice. Maybe you have, I don't know, 500 clusters or even a thousand, which actually some people do if they use edge computing and then you need to distribute one simple app among like thousands of clusters. Maybe in this case, native GitOps tool is a great choice. So where I'm heading is there is no right deployment tool or wrong deployment tool. You know, it's like, it depends answer, right? It's mm-hmm. all about where you want to be, uh, how complex you want to see a deployment, how, what level of control you want to have, so. Yeah, yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, definitely a one-size-fits-all approach uh, doesn't really work uh, when it comes to, you know, tool selection, or even just thinking about uh, how you want to build your pipeline. Um, so, yeah. Uh, you know, so one of the reasons that organizations look uh, to do more deployment automation is they want to move faster, release more frequently. Uh, you know, so as they're uh, going about doing all of this, right? Uh, what are some of the challenges or what are some of the uh, things that they compromise on, uh, you know, uh, in the pursuit of faster, more frequent releases? Uh, could you talk a bit on that kind of the pain points or the challenges of uh, or the anti-patterns of doing deployment automation? Well, um, in the ideal world, they shouldn't compromise. So <laughs> it shouldn't have this tech debt or cost associated with that. Um, what we see often is people might compromise on, well, doing it right is highly expensive. So yes, you can ship a thousand times a day if you have fully automated pipeline and you have probably working feature flags. And so you can hide some features behind them and you have proper A-B testing, right? Which will give you immediate result if something goes wrong and you will just first swap the feature toggle. So 
if you follow that work, so you push, you push a small incremental change, you hide it behind the feature flag, you automatically start promoting it to a couple of percent of your audience, and then you see if it's working, and then you keep rolling out, and it's all automated. I don't think you will face, except for it's expensive, you probably won't face a lot of challenges here. Um, however, if you don't do that, well, you might face a lot of um, you know, problems down there. So you can have unstable releases, you can maybe have uh, some incidents happening, you can have, if you have this autonomous team, but not enough governance, you will have your cloud cost blown up, right? So you can find out that you spent too much money on that. So it's all about just don't sacrifice your planning and don't sacrifice the steps which at some point, like for example, governance and cloud cost management in the beginning, you might see as probably not that necessary, right? But yeah, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so they should okay. be considered. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, and what are your thoughts on you know uh, the GitOps tooling, which we already mentioned, uh, Flux and Argo becoming really popular, open source tools uh, adopted by the CNCF. Uh, mm -hmm. Yeah, just uh, and and very uh, relevant to you know your space and your domain like deployment automation. Uh, so I'm sure you have some some views on it, and so if you could share, you know, some of your views in terms of the pros and cons of them, and how you see them. Yep. Sure. So GitOps is great. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. I love it, and mm -hmm. uh, it's amazing concept. I think the bit of an issue is that people don't always understand it the same way. So if you actually open, yes, like yeah. probably like you know, description of what GitOps is, there are four components, right? And sometimes people just pick on one of it and say, this is GitOps, and that's why it's good. And sometimes people just call GitOps something completely different and say, we do GitOps, right? But it's, um, let's talk about maybe in a nutshell, what I hear commonly called GitOps and not just, you know, how it's supposed to, you know, be in the ideal world. So in many cases, I think the most common case is people call GitOps everything which is described in Git, right? So, and I mean, and I'm not sure if it's GitOps or not, but it's absolutely valid approach. So yes, if you, and especially now when we live in the declarative deployment world, right? So I can have my Terraform file or YAML manifest describing how my service should run without bothering too much about how the platform would get there. So, and it's all editable, human can read that, easy to understand, easy to compare, and easy to version. In mm -hmm. this reality, absolutely having one source of truth, having one reference, always being able to look there and see what's actually happening, what's running now in my environment, and how this thing evolved, who did which change when, and uh, what was the effect of this. This is great. And uh, you can do it in most of the tools current, currently, I mean, including all tools deploy, and this is the approach we definitely believe in. And yeah, it's not yet, every, it's not like full GitOps, but that's amazingly powerful. And actually that helps a lot this uh, bridge the gap between platform and software, because they all can look into one place and they all can you know evolve this one configuration manifest together. So that's a great tool. Then we move a bit forward and we say, okay, now we talk about pull versus push, right? So yes, I have my artifact in one central place. Let's say it's Git repository. And now instead of saying, now you deploy that, we have a tool always looking to changes and picking up and distributing them, right? And again, this is great, um, but not always. It's amazing if you have multiple platforms and you want to introduce similar change. Let's say you're bootstrapping Kubernetes, right? And you need to install Prometheus to 300 clusters. Well, you don't want to have like initiate 300 deployments, right? You probably want to just say, this is a configuration. You figure out yourself how you want to, you know, download that and install that. And then I have 
my next cluster, I don't want to trigger deployment again. It will just happen to, you know, uh, download and install all the things I want it to run. That's great. Um, if you have a bunch of independent microservices, that can also do the great job, right? Sometimes it doesn't do the great job. For example, if you have dependencies, if you do want, there are some workarounds, but in general, if you want to have very um, controlled deployment saying this version shouldn't go in this environment before the version of the other app went, got there as well, right? Or you have more complex apps require, requiring, for example, databases, or sometimes you just can't do everything declarative. Sometimes you need to update the database, then you need to run some script on it, then you need to update the vision. So in this complex orchestration scenario, well, this pull versus push, you still need to use push, right? So again, know when to use what, right? Update your simple services through pull, especially if the service is running on multiple clusters across the globe in multiple regions, awesome. Have something more complicated, use push. Have something to bootstrap the cluster, use pull again. And finally, when we talk about GitOps, we also sometimes talk about drift detection and constant reconciliation, right? And again, it is truly amazing. Um, it gives you this, I'm not, I'm not just confident in what I deployed. I don't just see my reference point, my configuration in Git, which was pushed there or pulled there originally, but I also know that right now it's actually running there, right? The organization gives me this confidence. And it's great, again, for many scenarios I mentioned before for pull, but it could have some issues with this heavy, complex push scenarios, right? So again, just know when to do it. And if you know when to, if you like, mindful about this is great it's just it's not silver bullet right so that's what i'm trying to say just mm -hmm. and then we saw we saw how people build very complex systems just using only this approach and they discovered a lot of limitations during the process for example typical just simple GitOps tool doesn't give you good environment tenant management right and they tried to you know build workaround and workaround and workaround and you could have ended up with a big mess <laughs> so just just again be realistic yeah. about it like yeah realistic you know i think that's a key word and i think uh that's kind of the theme of all that i hear you saying is that uh you know you could try to be idealistic and perfect uh, and think of all these amazing concepts, but then uh, when it comes down to the day-to-day -day operations, you want to be realistic and you want to have some flexibility, even if that's not perfect. Uh, what works for you is what really works. I hear you saying that. And I think yep. that uh, idea may actually be a good uh, point for us to segue into talking about Octopus Deploy. Uh, mm -hmm. And uh, if you could tell us uh, what Octopus is, what it does, Give us the elevator pitch. Right. So Oculus Deploy is a deployment tool in a nutshell. It doesn't want to be anything else. It just do deployments. Great. That's, that's the whole point. And Oculus Deploy allows you to deploy to almost any platform you can imagine. So it doesn't lock you with one particular type of platform or type of infrastructure. It allows you to deploy the cloud, to your on-prem, to Kubernetes, to VM, bare metal, basically whatever works, including updating your local printer software. So this is the power of it. And also Octopus was built with DevOps in mind. So this idea of, but also with understanding that DevOps will quite likely ended up working in a big enterprise. So we work with both scenarios. It was building this idea in mind of how can I have control, audit, standards, and maybe platform team working and still enable people in software teams to run, own the deployments, do the releases, 
ensure that they have enough visibility over that. So that is Octopus. And Octopus also is a tool which, as I said, doesn't pretend to be anything else. So we have integration with PI tools, repositories, monitoring tools, etc. But we don't claim to, you know, to own or be great in any of this. But we definitely want to be great with working with this, like best of the breed tools around us. Nice. Yeah, that's a great uh, intro for, for Octopus. Um, a follow-up question I ask is, you know, who is the primary end user for your product? Is it developers? Is it ops? Is it uh, some other team? It's, we see that as two heads or two roles. Sometimes it's one team, one person, sometimes different. So it is person who run deployment day after day. Um, pushing these PRs and ensuring that the new version got to the production. And it's also a person who build the pipeline, ensure that there is a standard behind that, uh, do the governance. So again, sometimes it's one person, sometimes there might be like two different teams, but they will both have um, a lot of flexibility and power in Octopus. Right, all right. Sounds, sounds good. Uh, you know, so yeah, I found uh, this image on your website that I wanted to uh, share with uh, the viewers. And after this as well, we'll be having you uh, show us a walkthrough of, uh, a quick walkthrough of what Octopus looks like. In the meantime, I'll just share my screen sure. to show this image, uh, which I hope uh, the viewers can see. Um, that, you know, I think it very aptly and simply describes what Octopus does. It sits between these uh, early pipeline stage tools. So the there's the Jenkins, uh, the, the Git repositories, uh, all of the CI tools uh, on one side. And on the other side, there are the hyperscalers, the big cloud vendors, uh, Kubernetes, uh, AWS, uh, Azure, Google Cloud. Uh, yeah, so all of these on the other side and Octopus in the middle, basically a bridge between uh, these two, uh, you know, and basically solving the problem of how do you get your apps from, uh, you know, commit to production. So I found this image quite uh, quite handy and uh, explanatory of what Octopus is. Uh, yeah, and with that, uh, Kit, if you're ready, we can... Uh, see your screen and just uh, go through the walkthrough of Octopus. Yeah, thank you. Let me just grab the screen share. Okay, here you go. So we have, I just, to be honest, built it yesterday, spent maybe like 10 minutes uh, to create like test project. Very simple one. I don't want to go deep into all the potential features and how powerful the tool is because we don't have probably a couple of hours to do that, right? So I will just talk in a nutshell. So Octopus has two concepts, like more than two, way, a lot of ways to configure it. So we can go and start with like, no UI, let's use just Terraform and configures code. It's one of the ways. It's not that visual, so I'm not showing this today. We can use CLI, but we can also use UI. So Octopus, our aim is to make it easy to start, even if you are not deep into this CD or infrastructure's code concept. So I will show you the visual part. So it's very easy to start deploying something with Octopus. It really takes you minutes and you can go a long way to make it really complicated, really powerful, um, slowly building layers and layers on top of this. Uh, so Octopus has, well, two concepts. So first, you need to configure prerequisites. So for example, you want to deploy somewhere, we call it infrastructure. So you need to def define targets. And uh, I just added like simple Kubernetes target, took me like five seconds. So you can uh, have another one. And as you see, you have a lot of options here to choose from, right? And uh, just from here, you're choosing where you actually want to run deployments. Then you have another thing to configure is where you want these deployments, the tasks, which will do actual deployment run, 
And if you work from our cloud, you will have a few things here, but you can add your own. And as soon as you configure target and what we like to run deployments, you're actually good to go. Uh, then you go into the projects, which would you can call it app, you can call it like pipeline, but basically it's what I'm deploying. One uh, granular deployment, we call it project. So, and you create a new project. In, our, in my case, it's very simple. Um, Kubernetes deployment. If here we have a project overview and I can create a process of deployment. So the process consists of steps. In many cases, one step is more than enough. So in my case, I just have a YAML manifest deployed to a cluster, but I can be very, 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 um, you know, I can go and build a very complex system here so I can deploy packages, configure databases, update certificates, run my manual scripts. I basically can do whatever. I can use community steps and I can find a lot of steps which people build and maintain. So all the things are possible here. And uh, I can define how exactly I want to promote this app, uh, this deployment, so which uh, what environments I want to go through, and I could choose between like many different ways. For example, I can have my default cycle and say, hey, it should go through three environments. Or I can say if it's a hotfix, I want to push it fast into production, right? So I manage this, and then we have a concept releases. So every time I want to have, and this is actually, here I will stop for like maybe 10 seconds because this is a very key concept of Octopus. So Octopus believes in immutable release. So as soon as I have my app ready to deploy, I do something like a snapshot of all the variables, configuration files, packages, which are supposed to be released, even like uh, files stored in Git. And then I push this release for environments. And what it gives me, I'm 100% confident that what I build and push to deployment, development, will actually exactly the same version of the same variables will run in production or in staging or on many, many, many kind of different environments I want to run it on. So, and I can see the history of these releases and see what's in it. And finally, I go into the overview. This is my screen where I can see which channels I deployed through. And you see like different environments for different channels. I see the version which I build and I see what happened like Yesterday, this version 005 went through all three, and then there was a hotfix 08, which went just to deployment and ready to be deployed to production. And there is another one 07, which wasn't deployed because a higher version appeared after that, right? And you can see that you have, even here, if you have enough permissions, you have control and can immediately promote it to the next product, uh, to the next environment. But on the other hand, if something, for example, wasn't pushed deployment, it could be cannot be pushed to staging. So here you see a very primitive uh, governance, right? Which again, later, if you build more rules, could become more complex and could give you way more flexibility. But yeah, in a nutshell, overview of where deployments are, including the dashboard for all of your projects and looking at what version of each project running in each environment. Um, Flexibility in configuring the process, configuring the environments, running the releases as snapshots, and power to configure your infrastructure and workers. So where your where your deployment will run. Yeah, that's it in a nutshell. Great! Wow, thanks. That was uh, really fascinating, and I can see that a lot of it seems really uh, it makes things easier to do. And I was wanting to dig in a bit more into that to ask you about, you know, what does this mean for someone who manages Kubernetes clusters day to day and uh, just struggling with all of the manual tasks, the, up, the updates, and uh, just maintaining the system? Uh, you know, uh, does Octopus Deploy simplify a lot of that workload? Well, yes. Um, yeah, there are multiple ways of how you can do that. We have a concept of runbooks, for example, and runbook is non-deployment task and could be anything. Could be 
security check, could be software update, could be scaling up and down, could be basically anything you can, you know, you can do anything with code, right? And because our runbook allows you to run basically mm -hmm. predefined steps or code or Ansible or Terraform, you can do any sort of operation with this. And uh, you can write these runbooks in advance if it's an operation you know you will do. And you can trigger this operation based on like time or some conditions. So basically it's the best way to just do some simple thing you do on a regular basis uh, through the system without actually touching the keyboard or doing your own maintenance. We also have this idea of using these runbooks for some emergency. For example, we know a lot of our customers they use runbooks for disaster recovery. So they have Octopus for them in case of some bad event happened, can reprovision all the infrastructure and rebuild all the app as it was before, including recovery from some backup, for example. So that's another way of doing this. But there is also a concept of you can just have a service project. For example, yes, you can push your app to the cluster, but why not to push all the, you know, let's say service apps you need to the cluster as well. So why not to install the monitoring tools, all the backup tools, all the security features. So you can have these as separate projects. You can have a project deploying infrastructure. So you can have a project deploying your service through Terraform, right? So if you open a very advanced scenario for like very sophisticated platform team, you'll see different groups of projects where people first provision infrastructure, second, they provision their tools, and only after that, they provision their application. So that's what I'd say, like when I say, like it could be very complex, very powerful if you really like going down this path. Mm -hmm. Wow, sounds interesting. Uh, another point that you mentioned that I wanted to dig into a bit is, uh, you said that releases are immutable. And uh, just want to get you to explain a bit more about that, uh, you know, why uh, and, and you know, the concept of immutability when it comes to releases. And also just want to uh, ask if rollbacks are possible, let's say release and, you know, the release has some issues, things are failing in production, can you roll it back or what are the options? Uh, you can talk on those. Well, yes, uh, let's start with the uh, second question because it's a bit easier to answer. Okay. So yes, uh, rollbacks are possible. However, we usually talk about rolling forward, not rolling back. Okay. Um, because in many cases, you can actually create some issues with rollbacks. But if it's a simple app, let's say it's stateless, right? Let's say you don't have any, you didn't reduce any breaking changes with the new release. Yes, you can just always. And as usual, there are multiple ways. So you can just go in Octopus Overview and just redeploy the previous version, which as you saw before, you have always like listed versions available and you can just say, okay, my version 1.5 isn't actually working, promote 1.4 into production, which was there like maybe a minute ago. Um, obviously that could be automated, right? So you can say, hey, my monitoring doesn't show me that it's working, redeploy the previous version. Octopus can do it for you. You can have a step there saying, hey, check if it's live or not. And you obviously can build something like blue-green or canary deployments. So it's all very possible. Uh, now going back to what immutability does for you. So I'm not talking about the world of more, let's say classical deployment with VMs and everything where you actually benefit a lot from having this particular version of your script to this particular version of the package and knowing that only these these versions will be deployed to environment right that's what immutability does there but even if we talk about declarative deployments let's say kubernetes nowadays even here when we say yep i have git and git is immutable so i know which version of this yaml file i'm actually deploying right even here we actually don't usually deploy like pure raw YAML, we still do some alternations. We say, okay, for my 
test environment, I maybe use one replica and for my production, there may be five, right? So I change some other parameters. I can change maybe sometimes labels. I can add some services. I maybe change ports. So, and all this would be managed usually for variables in one way or another, right? And uh, if you don't really follow, and sometimes you're, you're, you're not always deploying every minute, sometimes you deploy maybe once a week if it's not the most popular service. So, and uh, all these values can change and sometimes really hard to combine the version of the configuration file from one place and maybe you store your variables in some other place, which is quite common. And maybe you have different configuration files. Let's say your app has, <coughs> excuse me, a couple of services. So in this case, immutability is important because you know exactly, okay, this version of configuration plus this version of creation plus this version of variables will work together and it will always be deployed in this combination. Doesn't matter when I deploy that, maybe I deploy it like next month, right? Or two months later and to which environment is deployed. So we see this as like a great way to ensure this like, you know, safety. Like it's a, it's a safety net value deployment. So you, no surprises, you know how it will work, no matter when or where you're deploying it, more or less. All right, all right. Awesome. We are drawing to uh, the end of our conversation on uh, Octopus, but uh, yeah, one of the last questions I have also, I mean, a uh, few more, but towards the end, but I want to ask about uh, progressive delivery, uh, canary releasing, which you mentioned, blue green. Um, you know, any any uh, anything to comment on in Octopus's approach to progressive delivery? How does it do it differently or uh, what approach have you taken? Um, well, it's a big topic and we have quite a few good examples and um, kind of one-on-one -on -one best practice articles on our website and a, and a blog. So I won't, you know, like uh, talk through all of them, but in general, we believe it's, it all really depends on the app. Sometimes these deployments don't really make sense. If you don't have enough traffic, right, you will really struggle trying to use something like Canary because, well, you have like, you know, 10 people using this um, an hour and then we will have enough signal to, you know, promote it, etc. So again, it depends. But if it makes sense for you, you can have a few different ways how you can build it with Octopus. And uh, yeah, so basically in a nutshell, you can configure that. You definitely can, we allow, enable people to do their own tests to ensure, uh, to verify that deployment is successful, either if it's like 20% you know, canary or like blue uh, blue environment. So we, you can have your test and figure, figure out if it's working for you. And you can make a call about if you want to promote further or not. And it could be even manual, it could be automated, it could be both. So it's about flexibility. Okay, uh, what are some of the uh, you know, early results that your customers see when they start using Octopus? We actually even ask this question in our product interviews uh, quite often. So mm -hmm. I think the first Still, I mean, kind of very straightforward, but still the main thing is it's faster deployments and it's no surprises, more control, and as a result, less incidents and less time spent on debugging and investigating. So this is the first. And then everything else like governance, organization, structure, that comes later. But first, uh, simplicity, control, yeah, more, you know, more successful deployments. How long does it take to see and show results? Uh, well, it depends. It's really, configuring the first deployment really fast. If you're serious about that, if you're not going to run 
half a year POC with some, you know, app which doesn't exist and like a few people just playing with this on the side, obviously that won't give you much results right away. But if you're actually trying that, if you're doing this for real in your in your actual deployment for your actual app, you will see results right away. So, you know, you can start with Octopus having uh, using our cloud account and just starting the trial and then half an hour, maybe an hour, and you'll have your first deployment running and uh, give it another couple of days just to compare how it was before and how it is now and you see the results. So it doesn't require too much time. All right, all right. Uh, last question for you, Kit, is uh, uh, is there anything that you're excited about uh, that's coming up on the horizon for Octopus? Any uh, feature from the roadmap that you'd like to give us uh, a teaser of? Well, we, our team is working heavily on container deployments. We're working on a few, um, a few improvements for declarative deployments, like Kubernetes. And uh, we really see us as this powerful engine for GitOps or platform teams, allowing you to build declarative configuration from a template. So basically, it's not about writing in Git multiple configurations and just deploying them through a CD tool. We see us as a tool to create these configurations according to company policy standards and governance from set of templates, enabling people to spend less time writing configuration for these hundreds and hundreds of microservices. So where that's already possible, and we want to make it great, this whole experience of like deploying microservices scale. So that's coming, that's, we're working on that. So hopefully be there in the future. We also work a lot uh, with, on GitHub integrations and yeah, better management for high, like scalable, uh, high load systems. So it's all coming. So I love how you guys are so laser focused on just deployments and uh, every feature has something to do with making deployments better. So I really love that and I think you guys uh, probably like mastered, uh, you know, the art of deployments. Uh, thank you so much for just uh, sharing uh, generously from your experience, from your insight in this space. Uh, there's definitely a lot to take away. Uh, so for our uh, viewers and listeners, if you're interested to know more about Octopus, definitely uh, check out the website. Uh, it is uh, octopus.com. Wow. <laughs> That's quite <laughs> a domain name. Uh, so head over to octopus.com and check out uh, what they're up to. A really cool product that can change how your deployments happen. Uh, Kit, before you go, a couple of questions to get to know you a bit more. Uh, sure. could, uh, uh, tell us, uh, what would be your alternate career path if not for your job in tech? Oh, that's a good one. Um, I don't know. I do like rock climbing, I think I would do something for the sport. Maybe, you know, helping to coach kids or something like this. <laughs> any, any particular client that you're proud of? Um, <laughs> I don't know, probably too early to be proud of my clients, <laughs> but I'm definitely <laughs> working on that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what's, oh, what's your next big uh, goal? Which is your next, uh, which is the client that you want to do? that you would probably work towards in the coming months or years? Um, I'm working on just how to grade, so I don't have any particular like uh, route in mind, but okay. I just want to get progressive better. So it's my, 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 it's more like an you know, improvement is my goal. Yeah, okay, neat. Uh, yeah, so been talking about automating deployments, but I want to ask, uh, is there anything that, uh, you know, in your personal life, or maybe even in your work, uh, but you know, something that's not related to cloud and software, something that you automated. Uh, could you share with us any example of that? Um, yeah, so, you know, I think as many people in our industry, I'm a bit nerdy at home. So I'm just, every time I see that I can just, you know, do some simple home automation, I don't know, like, um, building my music library at home or 
connecting <laughs> TV to, you know, all other, uh, you know, devices around. I just looking for the opportunity to do that. So sometimes my, my family doesn't always see that it's actually helping in any way. <laughs> so I think it might have great things a bit more complicated, but uh, I just love it. So yeah, I love connecting things at home. Uh, awesome. And, and, uh, Where well. is your music library? I mean, um, which tool do you use for it? Well, I use a few services like Apple Music, but also have some old recordings and I use Plex for this. So it's a combination of different things. But yeah, Plex plus uh, Apple Music. Awesome. Uh, complete the sentence. I can spend hours doing. Ah. Uh, I guess that I was doing, well, I can spend hours learning new things. I actually do like learning new things, whatever it is, sport, product management, whatever I can just marketing. So that's my just hundred percent hobby. Wow. Curious mind. It's nice. Um, the uh, next question is what's one value or principle that you live by at work you hold yourself to something that you believe in i think it's just care truly care about things so i know mm -hmm. this maybe sounds like <laughs> a bit too much but yeah i do believe that if you do something you just should really think about the result and uh good enough sometimes it's not actually enough so just care about what you're doing and everything else will just be the result of that your last question kid is uh, where do you go to find out what's the latest and greatest in tech where do you go for your news and uh, what's happening <clears throat> so i'm a product manager right so i read a lot of sources about like product management, design, etc. If I need something technical at my current role, I just go at CNCF Slack. Mm -hmm. And well, like a lot of information could be found there. Mm -hmm. I also follow just DevOps tag on Medium and on other platforms. And just read like in you know, a digest of the article. That's actually mm -hmm. very helpful. There are a mm -hmm. lot of great creators. I also follow UX Collective, just a little more about UX, UI, everything related to experience. And uh, Mind the Product is my usual source for, and ladies podcast, my usual source for like best uh, product practices. Wow, that's quite a bit to stay on top of. <laughs> but uh, some really good sources there. Uh, yeah, uh, so that we come to the end of our conversation for today, Kid. Uh, it was a pleasure chatting with you. Thank you so much again for uh, just sharing with us all from your experience and definitely getting us more interested and curious uh, about uh, deployment automation. Uh, I want to wish you and Octopus the very best and hope to have you guys again soon uh, on the podcast. Thank you. It was a great chat. Thanks for having me. And uh, thanks to all of our viewers and listeners for tuning in. Uh, we hope you enjoyed this conversation. Head over to amazic.com to hear more like this. And we hope to see you on the next one. Till then, take care.